If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, we're going to be in Colossians, the book of Colossians, looking at chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Colossians 1, verses 21 through 23. But Before we dive into God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord and our King, we have come to worship you this day, and we rejoice because you are on the throne. And we can bring our prayers before you in confidence because of what Christ has done on the behalf of his people. By his life, death, and resurrection, that those who come to him in faith will be forgiven of their sin. And those who are in Him and confess Him can approach the throne of grace. And you do not say to your people, go away, but you say, come. And so, Lord, as we spend time in Your Word this morning, may You guide my tongue and my thoughts for Your glory and for the good of Your people. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians 1, Colossians 1, verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. If you are visiting North Hills or you are viewing online, we are a church that desires to open up the Bible and walk through the Scriptures verse by verse. We started the book of Colossians recently, and over the last few weeks, John uh, has looked at verses 15 through 20. And in those verses, we saw the supremacy of Christ. And then with this passage this morning, Scripture makes an abrupt shift to us. Christ is this, and then you, in verse 21. And so Paul makes these sharp transitions in his writings to show the glories of Christ and then the reality of man. Throughout this passage, the doctrines of grace are shouting to us. In verse 21, we are again reminded that we are all sinners who are depraved and are in need. In verse 22, Scripture shows us Christ's substitutionary atoning work for His people. Verse 23 begins with a call to continue in the gospel. The saints in Christ will continue on until we see Him face to face. Like other passages in Colossians, it would not be of benefit for us to see a word used and then make it foreign to the understanding of, this, of, of the passage. This passage, like all passages, should be a warning to us that if we have a poor reading of the Scriptures, 
it will produce a poor understanding of them. One of the ways a passage like this could be misunderstood is by uh, saying uh, that the word if in verse 23 means that someone could lose their salvation. But that would be a very poor reading of this passage because it's not speaking of losing salvation, but a call to continue on. The saints in Christ will persevere until we behold Him face to face. And so these three verses that we cover this morning, it's one, it's one long sentence. One, one long sentence. And the main theme we see in this text is that of reconciliation. Verse 21 and 23 point to verse 22 in that Christ has now reconciled. Christ is now reconciled. And so as we walk through these verses, our points this morning, once hostile, in verse 21, our first point would be once hostile in verse 21, only Christ, only Christ, only Christ can reconcile in verse 22. And then one gospel, one gospel in verse 23. So to point number one this morning, once hostile, I'm going to read verse 21 again. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So in this verse, in verse 21, there are three descriptions of man apart from Christ. Alienation, hostility, and doing evil deeds. We were this. Apart from Christ, you are still this. In regards to alienation, alienation here means to be cut off, to have no union, that there is a chasm present. Our culture says sometimes when one goes to a place where they have no cell coverage, they are alienated from the outside world. But how much more pressing is this alienation here? If this chasm is not fixed, if there is no union, if one is cut off, then it would be eternally like this between God and man. And this is the cause of our sin. Romans 5.12 says that just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So we're not only born sinners because of the fall of Adam, but we too, we too have sinned against God. Regarding hostility, this is actively warring against the King of all. One is in opposition to Him. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says that although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their Foolish hearts were darkened. Without Christ, we are enemies. We are enemies of heaven because of our sin. Regarding evil deeds, these are, these are sinful works, works of iniquity. And there is a love for evil deeds. One who does not follow Jesus loves their sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, Scripture says, 
We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So because of sin, because of sin, the whole person is affected. One is cut off, hostile to the Lord and doing evil deeds. Our depravity means that we are dead in sin and we cannot pursue the Lord on our own. Some think that their lives are neutral to God and all they need to do is just press the gas. But regarding alienation, hostility, and doing evil deeds, Scripture continues to reveal the heart of man. Man is not neutral. He is a car without an engine. Without Christ, one is in active rebellion to the Lord. And so there is no neutrality when it comes to the Lord. We are either faithful to Christ or we are warring against Him. If God does not intervene, we would continue, continue to hate Him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says that we love. We love because He first loved us. So either your eyes are opened to behold Him or you are alienated, hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. Dead people, dead people cannot do righteous deeds or meet Jesus halfway. And I may be getting ahead of myself here in this passage, but I don't want us to miss this. Look at the way Scripture has laid out this in verse 21 with alienation and then the effects of alienation, hostility, and doing evil deeds. So we see alienation in in verse 21 and then we see the effects of alienation. And then in verse 22, Scripture begins with reconciliation and then the positive effects of reconciliation with God, holiness, blameless, above reproach because of Jesus. So Scripture is pointing out this this huge, this drastic difference of alienation and reconciliation. Alienation is the complete opposite of reconciliation. Alienation, cut off, lost. Reconciliation, found, alienation you are not a friend of god you're an enemy reconciliation in christ in christ you have a seat at the table of grace so alienation hostility and doing evil deeds are the descriptions of the world around us that that does not follow jesus as believers that live in this world, we must recognize that since the whole person has been affected and ruined in sin, there's not a band-aid fix to the sinful problem of humanity. One must be made new. Should we strive to meet physical needs? Yes. But we must preach Christ. We must share the gospel that only Christ can forgive sin. And only by Christ 
are we reconciled to God through faith? So Christians are given this ministry of reconciliation as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. And it leads us to our second point this morning. Our second point is only Christ can reconcile. Only Christ. What does Scripture say in verse 22? Christ has now reconciled in His body of death in order to present one holy, blameless, and above reproach. So it's, a, it's not a coincidence that the Apostle Paul noted that one was alienated, hostile, and doing evil deeds. And then now in Christ, one is reconciled to be presented holy, blameless, and above reproach. But because of our hostility to the Lord, and because of our sin, our works, our works will never make us righteous. Our works will never atone. God must intervene. He must intervene on our behalf because of our sin. And this passage here in Colossians 1 is, is similar to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. We are presented with, re, with the reality of our sin and our incapability to be righteous on our own. And then, then the focus goes directly to how God has worked. In Ephesians 2, Scripture says, One was dead in their trespasses, and by nature children of wrath. And then in verse 4 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, Scripture says, But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So in Colossians 1, verse 22, we're confronted with the reality of our sin. Then Scripture says, He has now reconciled. So how has Christ reconciled us? The hostile party to God. How has peace occurred? Look back at verse 20. Look back at verse 20 in chapter 1 of Colossians. Christ has reconciled by the blood of the cross. By the blood of the cross. Beloved, to deny the substitutionary work of Christ, Christ in our place upon the cross, if we deny that, we deny the gospel. We all have sinned and no work from us can atone for our sins. We deserve death because of our sin against a holy and just God. Yet, Christ took on flesh. Verse 22 says, in His body of flesh, He took on human flesh. This is what we celebrate during the Christmas season. Christ dwelling among men and women. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says that, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus Christ took on 
flesh. Lived a perfect, sinless life. And then died upon the cross. Because our sin was deserving of death, Christ died. Christ died. And that by the blood of the cross, by the blood spilled on the cross, we have peace with God. If Christ was not sinless, if Christ did not die, we would not have peace. But because He was and is sinless, because He shed His blood, and because He rose, Christ's righteousness is imputed to those who believe. His life is credited to our account. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 says that since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Beloved, we were enemies. We were enemies to the King of Heaven. We were doing evil deeds. We were hostile to the Lord of all. And the second person of our triune God, the Lord Jesus Christ, took on flesh and took the cross. We can't get over the cross. We, we can't get over the cross. We can't shut up about the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. Beloved, oftentimes our, our depravity blinds us from how bad our depravity, how bad our sin truly is. We were enemies. But God has shown mercy in Christ and He is deserving of all worship. We cannot get over the cross. There is a radical change in the lives of believers. The cross of Christ affects my whole life. My sins, my struggles in this life, and my joys. Jesus taking on flesh, dwelling among us. As 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He Himself bore our sins. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. God's purpose for your life is that every breath that comes from your lungs brings glory to Him. That your lives bring glory to Him. I can deal with loss rightly because Jesus is sovereign and over all things. And He bore the cross and rose from the grave. We can deal with pain rightly. We can deal rightly with our sorrows and sadness. We can deal rightly with our joys because Christ was crucified. The, the church's hope is not in a failing sports team. It's not in a Disney princess. It's not in a political party or a dead Savior. The church's hope is in a crucified and risen King. 
Christ has accomplished. God has made only one way to be reconciled to Him, and that is by faith in the Son who was crucified for us. And so the use of this phrase here, in order, in this text, is again pointing to only, only Christ. Only Christ can accomplish this reconciliation. Jesus has done this in order to present a believer holy, blameless, and above reproach. The purpose of Christ's death to redeem His, to redeem his bride, to wash them white in His blood, and to reconcile His bride to a holy God for the glory of God. The Christian is able to stand justified before a holy God because of the work of Christ applied to their lives. Will the believer be perfect in this life? No. But by the Spirit, we are continually being sanctified. Believers are to model holiness, kill sin, and strive to live Christ-honoring lives. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Because of our union with Christ and the work of the Spirit, we seek to kill sin in our lives. Because of our union with Christ and the work of the, and the, work of the Spirit, believers will press on until we behold Him in glory. Because of our union with Christ now, we will have eternal union with Him forever to the praise of His glorious grace. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And He gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Since Christ is the only one who can reconcile us to a holy God, the gospel of Christ is the only good news to the world. That leads us to our final point this morning. We looked at the hostility of man in verse 21. In verse 22, we see that only Jesus, only Jesus can reconcile. And in verse 23, there is only one gospel. There is only one gospel. Verse, let's read verse 23 again. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So this verse begins with the phrase, if indeed. And as I mentioned earlier, this is not a phrase saying that one who has truly confessed Christ will fall away. This is, this is a warning that we will continue on to press on. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus spoke about the persecution 
that will come upon believers. And he said, those who endure to the end will be saved. So our assurance is in Jesus. And we will continue on because of Him. In the book of Hebrews, some argue that the warning passages show that one can lose their salvation. Beloved, it is is not our salvation to lose. Christ is one. He has accomplished and He has given. And our security is in Him. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, just to mention one such passage that some try to argue that you can lose your salvation. Scripture says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So these warning passages should be viewed as gospel encouragement to keep running the Christian race, to keep running the marathon. And at its end, we see Jesus. We behold Him. But Evan, what if years from now you profess something different, like Jesus isn't Lord? And I would be like one of those in 1 John chapter 2, 19, that went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So beloved, the the call in Colossians 1 verse 23 is to continue to to press on, to persevere. Let us continue to build one another up in the faith as we sing. As we gather each Lord's Day and we sing together, I hope you realize how how beautiful and how wonderful it is. And it's it's a taste of heaven to hear each other sing and to see each other sing to the Lord. That should call us, stir us to persevere. As we open up the Word each Lord's Day and we're reminded of the sufficiency of Christ, it should be a call to continue on in the faith. And then as we gather together, whether that's on Sunday or throughout the week in community groups, it's a call to continue. We, we should continue to build one another up in the faith so that we may be stable and steadfast. We may be stable and steadfast. This description here, this description here in verse 23 shows, it, shows this conviction of believers, right? We are stable and steadfast, resting in the foundation of our faith, which is Christ. He is the rock that when the waves come and the winds blow, our foundation is firm in Him. We're to be grounded in the truth. We are not shifting. We are firm in Him. And if our hope is built upon the unchanging gospel of grace, it will not shift or change as the world's winds and waves change around us. The gospel of Christ and the truth of The Scriptures is the only news that you can put in a time capsule that will be as relevant in the future as it is today. And so is the church to shift the message that we declare because it may not be accepted 
by the world? No. No. We hold fast to preaching the gospel. We are called to be proclaimers. There is nothing more culturally relevant than proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And in this verse, Scripture uses the phrase, the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. It's a similar phrase to verse 5 and 6 of chapter 1, which says, because of the hope laid up for heaven, laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed the whole world. So some commentators in this regarding this verse and this phrase uh, argue that the proclaimed in all creation is in reference to the gospel going to Rome because Rome was considered considered to be at the center of the world. Some commentators say this phrase is a reference that the gospel was going to all creation in the first century. And then some argue this phrase means that the gospel has gone to Jew and Gentile. From the argument of Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, I would see that the gospel has gone widely to both Jew and Greek. And that the gospel is going to go out to every creature. And the gospel should be proclaimed and known among all creation so that the king of all creation is worshipped. And we just sung it a while ago, right? Psalm 150, verse 6, says that let everything that has breath, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So there is one gospel. There is only one declaration of news that is good for all people that goes forth to all creation. And it is the gospel which Paul says he is a minister. If we are in Christ, if we are in Christ, our lives are a visible reflection of this passage. And just like Paul's. Paul's life here would have been a visible reflection of this passage. This is a man who is a persecutor of believers. He did evil deeds. But God showed mercy to him in Christ. Without Christ, we were alienated, hostile, doing evil deeds. But in Christ, we are reconciled. We are reconciled to God. And so, beloved, as we think and reflect about this passage, may we be resting in Jesus. He is sufficient to save. We were once hostile, but if we have come to faith in Christ, we are now reconciled to a holy God. And Jesus will present us holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. We don't need the gospel just at the point of conversion. We need it daily. May we continue on, press on in the faith. We only get one life, and it will soon pass. 
Only what is done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Our Lord and our King, those in Christ, may they be conformed to His image. May we not pursue the former ways of sin, but pursue holiness in Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone here or friends, families, family members, co-workers who are not trusting in Christ, may you draw them to yourself that they behold Jesus, that they see this world is fading. This world has no hope for us. May they see that Jesus is sufficient to save them from their sin. Lord, may you continue to strengthen your people in the gospel. That this news, that the gospel is not something we regularly talk about and that it does not dwell upon our hearts. But Lord, may the gospel, may your word have deep roots in our hearts that we live for your glory, that everything, everything we have brings honor and glory to you. And Lord, may you continue to strengthen your saints here at North Hills as we pray through taking the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations, as we think through church planting, as we have people praying if, They should be going to the international mission field. Lord, you have given us the gospel to take to the world around us. But we do not rest in our abilities or our strength. As we go to our neighbors and to the nations, Lord, may we be found faithfully proclaiming the gospel that saves while we are resting in you. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.